0: Hey y'all, my name is Ann Wyatt. I started my career in workforce development with the state of Kentucky in 2010. That experience ignited a deep passion for manufacturing within me. I started this show hoping to raise more awareness around the bright outlook manufacturing careers have. Join me as I sit down with some of the manufacturing industry's most successful change makers and learn how they're partnering people with technology. Hey guys, how are you? uh welcome to workforce 4.0 on workforce wednesday we are so excited to have martin cloak with us today He is the ceo of raven ai and it's so good to see you guys and and hear from you all this morning afternoon wherever you may be i'm ready to get this party started martin how are you, how are you feeling about it
1: i'm feeling pretty good let's go
0: all right all right do you want to Take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your role there with Raven.
1: Sure. But we can also just jump into to questions. So I'm the uh, CEO and founder of Raven. We help manufacturers uh, improve by uh, understanding how they spend their time on the shop floor. But I won't, I won't bore, bore our audience with details here. I'd love to jump into the questions and start, start talking about Workforce 4.0.
0: Yes. Okay, well, let's do it. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm always down for a good workforce conversation. So, but you know, I've got to officially ask you the first question that has now become a tradition on Workforce 4.0. You know, I love music. You love music. We just had such a good conversation prior to going live here about your passion for music as well. My first question for you today is what's your go-to karaoke song, or if you're not a huge karaoke fan, I get it, then tell us what your favorite song is.
1: Well, I actually used to to sing semi-professionally prior to my voice breaking in church choirs and all that kind of stuff here, and then when my voice broke, I stopped singing altogether But during the pandemic, I actually learned how to play sort of pop piano. So I've been playing a bunch of, I've been accompanying. I've been the, actually the soundtrack for others to sing. So I've been playing uh, Lumineers recently, but uh, Ophelia is one that, that I'm enjoying noodling with on the piano.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. I think that's very interesting because I was classically trained in piano for 12 years or so. So tell us about your newfound passion for piano.
1: Well, I think at some point with the pandemic, all of us had to find, especially those who have uh, excess energy, needed to find ways to spend our time. So I kind of went off in all sorts of directions, including absolutely growing, growing Raven. But during the pandemic, learned piano, learned tennis, learned how to longboard. So it, it was you know, pretty, pretty uh, a, lot, a lot of time. Actually, it's interesting that we we'll talking about time later on today, but it's amazing what happens when you actually find new time and uh, it's exciting. So I think uh, it's a very precious resource and it, and it was exciting that because of the pandemic that so many of us got to get time back that we were spending sitting on planes when we didn't need to.
0: I think that speaks a lot that you invested so much of your personal time that you did get back and really went for it, YOLO as the kids would say, right? And I love that you're learning to play piano. Tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to play piano and specifically the Lumineers.
1: Oh, I just, my my kids asked me to play it. So I I think that with most things in my life, people ask me to do stuff and I'm pretty good at doing it. But yeah, music, I think in in some ways, you know... uh, all of us are looking for that balance between work and family and activities. And with the pandemic, I think a lot of us were able to find a balance that works well for us. So music is just something that's super complimentary. And I think when you have a, a healthy balance, things are, are more successful in all areas. Um, well, one of the things that I think, I sort of go back to the pandemic uh, as having a sort of positive impact was that, you know many of us, especially in tech, had to travel around for, for various reasons. And you know it, it was just the thing that you know, was the thing to do. And I think now that mo- more and more of us are comfortable uh, creating connections uh, online and via Zoom, it's just unlocked a huge amount of, of capacity and energy to dedicate to other things. And that's not to say that meeting in person isn't still valuable, but we can be much more selective and not doing it because it's just the thing to do always. We can be selective and meet meet in person when we have energy to, to give our all to it. So yeah, it, I think, I, I generally look at things uh, positively, but there's a lot of things that happened after the pandemic that are better for success in business and, and in life in general.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I can see that. And it's been great on uh, LinkedIn, growing the manufacturing community, and you've certainly had a big part of that. And that kind of is a great segue into our first official question here. How? important is keeping people at the center of digital transformation as we increase technical applications in the manufacturing industry what do you think about that
1: well manufacturing is still fundamentally a people business and i think this is something that you know for for those of us who may have started our careers outside of manufacturing say in engineering or in tech you know we assume that manufacturing is primarily machinery outputting goods where people are you know watching the machinery so I think manufacturing is still fundamentally a people business. And if you want to be successful, people are at the core of that. And so, so manufacturers are, uh, you know, pe- people's, one of the things that successful manufacturers have been doing for a long time is manage change. And and often the change involves technology. So on the shop floor, uh, this change could be a new piece of machinery, even even equipment that would, you know, be categorized as, as digitization has been around for a long time. And so this is not something that's new. And I think there's a difference between Involving folks in digital trans- uh, transformation in a way that is expected and understood and doing it in a way that's unexpected and not understood. And, and I think the key thing here is to make sure that we recognize that things cannot be done without warning and they can't be done without explaining the value that the things provide. You know, folks on the shop floor are, for the most part, quite practical and open to the idea that new things will, will drive improvement. But if you come and, and, you know, implement a solution unexpectedly where the value that it provides is is unknown, there's going to be a lot of challenge here. So I think the key thing here is to involve folks on the shop floor in digital transformation uh, early on. And if they expect it and understand things and, and see that the things that are being deployed are obviously useful, there there's not going to be pushback. And I think that the key thing here is to recognize that, you know, digital transformation in, when done properly is very similar to the kinds of transformations that have been done for decades in manufacturing and it's not some new way it's technology that's enabling better performance and it's not replacing it's complementing manufacturing which is and, and will continue to be a combination of equipment and and people working you know collaboratively to output stuff for for customers
0: yeah so that's an interesting point of view and i appreciate that do you care if i unpack that just a little bit and just ask you because your background is mechanical engineering you've worked on a shop floor um when you're having these conversations with companies on digital transformation and industry 4.0 technology What has been some of the most successful ways that you've guided those conversations to eliminate that fear, right? Or to ensure to the end user that the technology is helpful and useful and is creating value to their everyday day-to-day lives?
1: Well, maybe I'll preface it. So my degree is in mechanical engineering, but my first job out of school was working on the shop floor. Uh, First, one of the first roles was as a supervisor. And, you know, one of the things that struck me was how different the shop floor was than I had expected it to be, you know, in engineering school. So I think, and what what struck me, you know, the main thing was that it was, you know, as I mentioned before, so as far as uh, addressing the concerns in the shop floor, I think in some ways, manufacturers need to just forget about the fact that it's digital transformation or any kind of transformation and go back to the basics. Uh, and the basics is to make sure people are aware, make sure they're heard. When it comes to deployment, you know, technology has the benefit of being able to get flicked on with a switch. And and, and one of the things that I always sort of go back to in talking about digital transformation is walking the shop floor and seeing a whiteboard with metrics. Because the first thing that an engineer would do if you see a like what, like if you see a whiteboard on the shop floor and well, like, what will your first instinct be?
0: I suppose actionable items, it depends on what the, from an HR perspective, I'm thinking about like metrics, like safety and quality issues and things like that. Is that kind of similar to what you're...
1: you're Yeah, I think that's way closer to what it should be. But I think what, when engineers... Uh, you know, see a whiteboard on the shop floor. It's always interesting. You post something on LinkedIn about a whiteboard and people freak out. There's like the pro whiteboard group that says, this is the best thing ever. Then there's the one saying like, this should be digitized. How is it possible in 2022 that somebody is using a whiteboard on the shop floor? And 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 if you want to create argument on LinkedIn, just post something with a whiteboard and say, like, say this is bad or this is good. But the reality is that like that, that whiteboard, one of the things that it has is the operators on the shop floor understood it and and they were a part of the process. They saw the engineer go up there, and I was an engineer with the rulers and the and the sharpies and stickers and all that to to create this this whiteboard. They interacted with it, you know, and and it did you know highlight important things as you just mentioned. So the the one thing that that engineer walking through the shop floor uh, doesn't see is the is the fact that it, there was engagement involved to get to the point where there was a whiteboard there. And and if it worked properly, you'd see a super messy whiteboard that was being used all the time, you know. Deploying a whiteboard on the shop floor, there's a way to do this. And many manufacturers are excellent at doing that in a way that creates engagement on the shop floor and then the right kinds of behaviors. So now if, if as an engineer coming in without understanding how the shop floor works, you say, okay, let's just take that whiteboard and let's just digitize it and slam it back on the shop floor in an instant. And then from one day to the next, you now have no whiteboard and you have this big digital whiteboard. What happens is that you've lost that connection to operators. You know, so you can you can deploy technology with a flip of a switch, but people don't work that way. So in the same ways, if you're looking to find ways to deploy any kind of solution on the shop floor, whether or not it's you know the kind of stuff my company does or vision systems or robotics, there's a way to do this where people on the shop floor understand why it's being done. It's being deployed in a way that's incremental, so that they they understand the obvious usefulness, obvious utility, of what's being done, uh, and then once they see it. You know, the vast majority of folks on the shop floor are there to do a good job. And if they see a better way, they will take that better way. And I think that that's the key thing here where we're sort of over in the, over focusing on deployment of technology and, and not the fact that the or, you know, organizations and, and people on the shop floor, um, you know, it needs to get integrated with them. But but it takes longer and, and it's a different approach. So there's two things here you can't think of manufacturing as just a collection of machines that are that's being watched by people it's it's this you know organization that can, you know is both people and machines and, and ultimately it's it's people that determine how well or you know uh, you know these organizations perform
0: That's some very good feedback for us thank you for that i do want to take a minute and get to some of these comments you guys are blowing the chat up i really appreciate you guys so much first and foremost you know we have to give our girl carol a shout out carol thank you so much for coming today and uh supporting workforce 4.0 and everything you do for for both martin and i we really appreciate it it's good to see you
1: Hey, girl. And
0: Mike Demos asks, are there any tools out there to evaluate an organization's readiness for transformation? That's a really good question, Mike. What do you think, Martin?
1: Yeah, I I, I think, you know, organizational (laughs) readiness. Oh, is that a noise? So organizational readiness, you know, Organizations need to be have adopted some sort of continuous improvement methodology successfully be, before they're ready to deploy technology. and and that's something that you know this kind of capability has been around for a long time. So in some ways, like when organizations are discussing you know whether or not they're ready for digital transformation and they're focused you know focusing on technical technological capabilities, in some ways it's looking in the wrong area. In many cases, the organizations focusing on technological capability, is giving a pass to, to uh, technology providers that have technology that's too complicated or too difficult to deploy. So I think that the main thing is to, you know, uh, to make sure to have a, a strong culture of continuous improvement that is, that connects the shop floor to engineering, to it now more and more to the executive and, and I would focus on that. And, and it's strange to sort of suggest that the, you know, the readiness is more related to organizational and, and, continuous improvement culture rather than having certain technological capabilities. But, you know, fundamentally, those kinds of things that they're in place, if folks see that there's better ways of doing things with technology, they will adopt it. And if the technology is good, it won't be overly complex to adopt. And there's a bunch of amazing technology ready today, whether or not it's vision systems or robotics or analytics tools, there's a bunch of stuff there. And, and the resistance isn't because, you know, folks don't want to to improve their organization. The resistance is because they don't understand, uh, or they don't trust that it's actually going to going to fix the things that they see uh, on the front lines.
0: That's an interesting perspective as well. Thank you, Mike, again for your question. And I hope that helps. Let us know if uh, that answered your question here in the chat. That's actually a really good segue onto our next question, which kind of gets more into the concept of continuous improvement. But what value do you feel the frontline workforce brings continuous improvement efforts? And what inspires you to be so committed to continuous improvement? Because I know you're very passionate about that.
1: Well, I, I guess what value at, at some point, if you're like the, the front lines are the ones that are driving that value, where at some point, if in an organization, you're not standing in front of a machine pr- producing goods, you should be doing something to enable them to, to produce those goods, right? So if you're an F1 driver, there's the car and then there's the crew that's around it and all the organizational structure. So in some points, like in, in F1, you elevate the driver in manufacturing, the ones that are delivering that value are those who stand in front. So I, I think that that framing is important. And and I think folks on the shop floor recognize if they're being seen and elevated in a way where, you know, the organization respects the fact that they are the ones who are at at the end of the day, delivering the goods to the consumer uh, versus organizations where the front lines are, are, you know, seen as a source of data or, or a consumable resource. And I think that's something that you see in world-class cultures where you can even tell walking the shop floor, whether or not folks are looking you in the eye, whether or not they're giving you a smile, whether or not they're focused on their work. It's, it's really interesting. I don't walk plants as much as I used to, but I think there's there's a, there's a feel that you you have when you go to a, a an organization that has a strong continuous improvement culture. So really, as I said it earlier on, uh, manufacturing is still fundamentally a people business. And folks on the shop floor, supervisors, you know, uh, process engineers, technicians, operators, really, that's kind of the the lifeblood of, of manufacturing. So they are they have to be a core uh, of continuous improvement and, and transformation for it to be successful.
0: I can just give you some feedback from what I've seen in recruiting and talent acquisition as well. But I can't emphasize enough to build on your points that quality culture, world class culture is a real motivation factor that people consider when they are looking at new employment opportunities so I can verify from my end that that is a concern from people that I talk to as well and operators and people on the floor. I appreciate your feedback on that and support and I can I can definitely agree there's you know right when you walk into some uh, manufacturing facilities and everybody's smiling, and uh, they're communicating well, and it just gives this sense of teamwork that um, isn't isn't necessarily always found in every place that you go into. That's such a great feeling, right?
1: Yeah, there's a certain smile because it's not everybody smiling like it's it's party time. Because there's like a smile, then it's like, all right, now now leave me alone because I'm trying to focus on on doing my job. So there's a balance, I think. But there's a feel, there's a feeling you definitely get. I sort of mentioned the whiteboards earlier. When I see a well used whiteboard. I think that's pretty exciting to me, uh, even even though I know that there's a, a, a way to, to, you know, to replace that with with technology. But yeah, I, I, I miss visiting plants and, and a well-run manufacturing plant.
0: As we move on to our next question here, we have some involvement. We have some co-interest, right? And really how we know each other is through the Industry 4.0 Club, which I believe you were one of the OG founders of. If, if i'm thinking correctly maybe you and then ryan trees
1: yeah I, I i can go into it briefly if that's it, that's interest of interest here but yeah that was but it was we, we leave that for another time but yeah absolutely early on industry 4 club was uh you know again i sort of mentioned all that energy that many of us have that was kind of squished because of the pandemic so it resulted in us meeting and and chatting about industry 4 on clubhouse first and on linkedin and, and then now in, in a bunch of other settings
0: Absolutely. And it's been great getting to know you through that capacity. And yeah, I think it's interesting when we go around and we do have the industry 4.0 club meetings and or the lives and it's like a get to know the founders or addition or, or, or what have you and we're all telling our stories of how we kind of ended up together as this collective but you have been instrumental in teaching me a lot about the industry 4.0 technology that's not only currently available but the progression of uh, industry 4.0 as a whole and kind of as we move into that progression into the era of industry 4.0 or digital transformation where do you feel like the biggest career opportunities for the frontline workforce exist
1: i i think one of the things here is that you know as technology progresses it's becoming easier and easier to use and in some ways technology is leveraging the fact that much of the workforce is now familiar with using consumer technologies so I, I think the days of, of of folks needing to learn how to use an AS400 terminal, which which I used back in the day when I was on the shop floor, are, are are going away. And now more and more, some of this, you know, technology is just easy to use out of the box. So with technology being easy to use out of the box, easy to deploy, no-code applications, and all these other kinds of things, you know, the kinds of skills that that will be needed aren't necessarily those technological skills. Those are the skills that, you know, leadership, continuous improvement, uh, supporting teams through change, all of these skills that, you know, we, we often saw on the shop floor, but folks would get, you know, I guess stopped and they would make it so far and then they wouldn't be able to jump beyond the shop floor because they didn't have those technological capabilities. I, I would say those soft skills, change management with enough of a knowledge of kind of the technologies available, but I, I, I would uh, over-index on some of those soft skills rather than, those technology skills, because because technology it is is getting easier and easier and easier to use, and having folks in manufacturing companies who you know know how to develop new software and all that, I think this is something that is is happened out of necessity because they're you know uh, technology hadn't gotten to the point where it does exactly what manufacturers need, but it is now. So yeah, I I, w- I would focus on those those skills, those leadership skills change management ones that, you know, are, are, are valuable all the time. And, uh, I think, I think the, um, you know, opportunities for those who are good at that today are, are, are going to continue to grow.
0: I love that answer. Can I get more into depth with that? So if you have someone that is on a production line and they're an operator, where do you feel like the biggest, career transformation for them like what does that path look like to you from maybe production operator to robotics coordinator or something like that
1: well okay so digital transformation is accelerating more technologies are coming into the plant so now as they come in uh, there's going to be a lot of work needed to integrate these kinds of things organizationally so in order to do that i was sort of referring to the fact that this this the primary skill set needed is change management but you also need to understand how this technology provides value in the best way. So you don't necessarily need to understand what, what happens under the hood, but, you know, uh, awareness of, of what's available, uh, awareness of how to deploy effectively. So I think, you know, for folks who've demonstrated capability, you know, as I say, a, uh, say you're a team lead or a production supervisor, I think stepping into these roles where you are aware of, uh, involved with digital transformation, but are have a skill set that enables uh, organizational integration so uh, often you know when uh, or- organizations bring in management consultancies to help us change management you know there's a lot of heavy lifting that's needed to make it happen but the more capability there is to sustain those changes after the consultancy's initial involvement the better so, so I would say for those who are looking for a progression you know making sure to be aware of, of technologies so like you know similar to like what what many people are doing with Industry 4.0 Club you know, be aware of technologies, be aware of, of different use cases. And I think that awareness is key. So combining awareness of new new advancements in technology with the ability to, to support change management are, are two skill sets that are going to be highly valuable in the near term and today.
0: That's an excellent answer. And as a recruiter, I get asked all the time of what technical certifications do I need to consider for career advancement? How do I make uh, career transitions into manufacturing? So I love that feedback and I appreciate that answer so much. And speaking of digital transformation journeys, I believe we have time for one more question today, if if that's okay with you, Martin. Go for it okay so lastly I named this episode of Workforce 4.0 digital transformation starts with your front line. How does your company Raven attribute to giving people more meaningful work and where do you feel like the data is being collected from Raven? How do you feel like that's giving businesses the ability to make better real-time decisions?
1: Well I think we sort of started things off describing how you know personally you know the, the way that, i view many fa- good you know world class manufacturers as ones that elevate the the front lines and i think the way that we've built uh, raven has always been around this idea of elevating the the operators in particular to enable better performance and and better performance on the shop floor is good for shareholders it's good for consumers and ultimately it's better for operators on the shop floor so you know the the, the frame that we've you know typically use is that you know, uh, to pr- we provide technology that's used by operators in particular on the shop floor as a way of of highlighting where there are inefficiencies. But you know, the, the the frame is if you have a tool that you can provide to operators that basically can poke management, poke engineering to work on the problems that you know are, are needed on the things that are slowing them down in the moment or the things that are slowing them down system you know systematically. That's kind of the frame that we have around our technology in particular. So now, if as part of you know using our technology to, to trigger support in the moment or, or to highlight inefficiencies over time, those interactions also provide data that helps inform our clients how they're spending their time. So you know the, the value that we provide to our, our customers, you know simply put, is to give them a complete accounting of how time is spent on the shop floor. And if you can account for how every second of production time is spent uh, in a way that is not aversive to the front lines, that data set that describes where your inefficiencies are is useful to the front lines. It's useful to maintenance, it's useful to, to leadership. It's useful to everybody. Once you understand truly how you're spending your time. Uh, unfortunately today, many manufacturers have a fuzzy view of what's actually happening. And then when decisions are made to, to drive gains, they're using instinct and other methods, you know, and that's when, that's what happens when you create misalignment with the shop floor. If you, if you guess, where the inefficiencies are and you make a mistake, the shop floor will tell you right away. But, you know, the ship may have already sailed. So I think for us, you know, the idea of giving the operators on the shop floor that stick to poke the organization to work on the right things, you know, the operators will appreciate it because it's addressing inefficiencies that they see, they experience, and the organization will ap- appreciate it because it's highlighting where they should be focusing their improvement efforts. And customers will appreciate it because at some point, customers want to have super product delivered faster high quality so all these good things here so ultimately if you if you get it right uh, it it benefits you know all stakeholders
0: that's amazing feedback thank you so much for that i do have one more question from the chat if you have time this is coming from Chris. Do you think that technology providers are going overboard with the digital transformation now if you want to survive mantra? And that is a, concern, that is a valid concern. I do hear that when I'm talking about the club to people that I'm connecting with and, and to other leaders in manufacturing. What are your thoughts
1: though, Martin? Great question. So the, the challenges that manufacturers face are, are, to, you know, are changing. Making it more and more difficult to avoid digital transformation. So if you if you go back several years ago, you know the way manufacturing operations would work, you'd you'd come up with a a plan that wouldn't necessarily you know change that much from week to week. Um, you would have predictable staffing on the shop floor. Your your warehouse would be full of the, of the kinds of materials uh, that you need to build your stuff, and then expectations from customers with regards to delivery is manageable. So I think with with that kind of model of manufacturing. You know, you can be quite successful using your AS400 and Excel and engineers and doing, and whiteboards. And I think that worked for a long, long time. Some of the challenges that are coming in today, which are making it more difficult and not impossible, because there's many, there's organizations that can still, you know, rely on instincts and talent to, to drive pretty amazing performance. It's just becoming more and more difficult with supply chain disruption. You, you don't have the parts that you thought you'd have, and therefore your whole plan for the day is messed up. You're having to change over way more than you want. You don't have the right amount of labor because people don't want to work in manufacturing. So, and then compound that with the fact that you know all of us and and you know you and I are to blame as well. We expect highly customized goods to be delivered almost instantly. So, like the, the, all these market forces are making it so that that time frame around which you can you need to plan for are much shorter, which makes it more difficult to rely on instincts. And historical data to perform. So now, now that it's more difficult to perform, those who found a way to incorporate these new tools with that those best practices that still do work are being most most successful. So organizations can continue to, you know, don't need to jump onto the band- bandwagon right now, but it's going to become more and more challenging and more um, reliant on that, you know, amazing instincts to be able to make changes in the moment. So I think this the, the whole the whole thing with digital transformation is that it, it commoditizes excellent performance. And, and that's not to say somebody can't perform at an amazing level, but you know, at, at some point you know, you may you know your organization may not have the world's best you know production planner or the world's best maintenance techn- technician. So the, the difference between the best and the rest gets minimized as you as you find ways to integrate new technologies. So a long-winded answer but I think you like so it, it's becoming more and more risky to 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 push it off but that's not saying that like if somebody has an example of an organization that they they do things the way that they did in the 60s and it's still successful I commend them for it and that's probably a pretty amazing culture but it's just harder becoming harder and harder
0: Amazing feedback on that. We are at time today. I appreciate your time, Martin. I really do. It's been a treat having you on today. If there's anyone in the audience that is listening in or watching, how do you propose that they connect with you? What's the best way to establish contact?
1: Yeah. So uh, LinkedIn or uh, my email is martin at martin.raven.ai. So either of those work. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a friendly guy. Feel free to reach out. And I, th- I see that we're over time here, so I, I I feel like I could have spoken faster. So maybe next time, if we're on again, I'll just I'll just crank it up another 20 percent, so we could we could be uh, in the half an hour.
0: I thought it was perfect.
1: Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. This this was a I had a blast here.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that.